welcome everybody once again to this edition of Ask. I'm Pastor Jamie here at Cornerstone Church. Good questions today about what, what is appropriate entertainment for our children and should we pray out loud when we're praying against satanic forces? A couple of other good questions too as we empty out the Ask Bank. Stay tuned. All right, everybody, once again, I'm Jamie, and this is where you ask questions about Babel. Babel. You can ask about the Babel, but I don't know what the Babel is. Maybe it's Tower of Babel, but the Bible, uh, Faith and Life. And uh, you can go to cornerstonebv.org and go to our Ask. Uh, I would say this, I'm about to take a few months off on a sabbatical, so uh, any question probably at this point that gets asked, you'll probably have to wait a little while. So feel free to still do it. We can build that bank right back up, but just don't expect it uh, anytime soon. All right. If you really have a pressing question, ask Pastor Bob for Wisdom 828. I'm sure he'll love to get your, uh, your your questions. So, all right. First question today, right? This kind of came in the light of a couple of episodes ago in light of uh, the Taylor Swift mania. My question is, how do we, the person said, as Christians, choose appropriate entertainment for our, our children? Um, Taylor Swift, they said, is arguably a lot more wholesome than Britney Spears. <laughs> I love that. The, the top pop star of my youth. Oh my gosh, is she so much better than Britney Spears? But anyway, but her lyrics have included more and more profanity. That's true over the years, including taking God's name in vain. Where do we draw the line? And I'm wondering this about movies, shows, and books as well. Which topic should be off limits entirely? Magic, LGBTQ, sexually explicit material, and for which topics do we exercise discernment? All right, so that's a lot. Great thoughts, great questions. Um, this, is, this is always a, a very difficult challenge for Christian parents. And I'm really sorry to say that I don't think there's a clear, easy answer, right? Parenting is tough. It's, it's each individual kid is different and all have unique challenges and temptations. Uh, the first factor, of course, I would say is the age of your children, right? It, it should be easy to pretty much hyper control most content they consume before they have their own access to the internet. I'd say before the age of at least 10 is a good guide that you should uh, absolutely allow no profanity, sexual content in any of their media or entertainment. Uh, now, once they get into prepubescent years, this is gonna be, you know, at least I found it a real big challenge, they're likely going to have more independence, right? And they should as they grow up. And they will also begin to see and hear things in school or with friends. We just simply cannot protect them from the world forever, right? But we can try to do it as long as we can. I highly, highly, highly recommend, did I say highly? Like I did, that you do not let your child have a phone until they're at least a teenager. Uh, it's hard to keep it away once they start doing all kinds of activities, uh, you know, in school and stuff. But as long as you can. My kids were the last in their class to have phones. Uh, they were last to have data as well, so I could really control everything they saw or did. And, and honestly, I still think I regret that I might have done it too early. It's hard because everyone else is doing it, right? But once you do allow your, your, your teen to have a device and phone, you must, must, must pay or make sure you have good filters and controls. Whatever music platform you let them use, they, they always have, you know, filters so they can't listen to explicit lyrics, profanity, rated R content. Whatever carrier you use, whether it's Verizon Family, um, there's others, there's, they always have settings, I should say, right? And filters that you can set up, including amount of screen time, bedtimes can be set. 
There's also some really good apps that you can set on their phone or other devices that will ensure you have far more control. Honestly, it really boggles my mind in working with, with many teens over many years now, how many parents are clueless as to these services that exist or just shrug their shoulders or just think not their kid. They really help control what your child sees and listens to. The biggest things that we're trying to protect them from is pornography, this is killing our younger generation, uh, and social media connectivity. These have to be blocked and or monitored closely, in the case of social media, not pornography, as your children get older. Mine are, say, 20 and 17. Things will shift again. I allow far more independence than I used to for both of my kids. I know they hear profanity and sexual stuff online and with their friends, but that's the world, right? They are now at an age where they must start to make choices that they will, you know, and I know that they're gonna choose poorly at times. I sure, I certainly did, far worse than probably either of them. They need to grow up. Now, I still block porn and other really bad stuff from their phones and devices because I pay for them, and as long as I pay for them, they will, that will always exist, right? But here, here's the probably the biggest thing that I, I wanna say about this. The best defense in this case is a good offense. Don't just focus on defense, right? Not letting content into our kids' lives um, because it's gonna get in eventually, right? Eventually it will. There's no stopping it completely. But make sure you, have, you are having very good and sometimes very hard conversations with your kids about Jesus and why this other stuff robs us of what is good. Make sure they're in church, they're plugged into Christian community. Um, as a family, make sure they see and know your values. In the end, they almost they almost likely kind of end up returning and following you and your values as long as they don't see rampant hypocrisy, right? Tell them one thing, but then they see you v viewing all kinds of terrible stuff or saying all kinds of terrible stuff. That, that can't happen. In the end, we fill our hearts, right, with more and more of Jesus and his word and all of this other stuff will just not be as attractive to our kids. Okay, second question. This is applicable to me now because Hopedale will be having its annual fairy walk, which sounds like a wonderful family event, right? Not to me, but okay. I recently read that they will be having the Southern New England chapter of the Wolf Shager Hexenbutts. I'm sorry. This is a group of witches. Uh, when praying against darkness in the spiritual realm, what, uh, what wisdom caution should be used? Are there times when we should silently speak our prayer so that Satan doesn't know what we are uh, battling to tear, to tear down? I know that it is always best to have other believers join in praying as well, but does that subject the person and their family to direct attack from the enemy? Okay, first, that is really too bad about Hopedale, but I'm sure they're not the only town doing stuff like this. I would not participate in that at all. Um, as every viewer uh, of Ask knows, I'm not approved when it comes to, to some stuff, you know, regarding darkness or movies or things like that. But to be where people are actively participating in the occult, nope, not a good idea at all, especially since you have kids, right? Don't get, invite that into their lives. Second, yes, you should absolutely pray against darkness and you should involve Christian friends with this. We pray with vigilance and dependence on God right, to keep the enemy out of our homes, schools, places of businesses, and everything else you can think of. Now, should you pray it out loud 
That's a really good question, right? Because it's a good idea to pray these silently for the most part. It's very astute on your part. A lot of Christians don't understand this, right? Demonic forces, they cannot read your mind. Remember that. They cannot put thoughts in your head. Sometimes we say those things. They can't. They're, they're, they're limited. But they can study you and know how to entice and tempt you as if they can read your mind. Because they're very smart and savvy. But that's not true. They can't. But they can listen. So if you pray something like, Lord, the enemy is tempting me to lust after that girl or, or get drunk and I'm feeling really weak and vulnerable, please help me, be, be strong and please protect me um, from attack. That's a great prayer, but it should be said silently. You don't want your enemy to know uh, your struggles any more than he already does, right? However, if you are praying a confident prayer in Jesus' name, like about the victory he has on the cross and and it's just asking for general protection against demonic forces. Then it's sometimes a good idea to sometimes pray that out loud. Praying scripture that is applicable to the situation is good to do out loud. Praying through worship hymns or songs can be really good. The enemy does shy away and sometimes even flee when uh, he hears God's promises are being believed and Jesus is being called upon. So then, out loud prayers can really be effective. But obviously, be, be cautious with that. Be careful. Okay, uh, third, what style of the different Bible translations do you read most or take your sermons from? The questioner says, I have a KJV, King James Version, and it is old and falling apart. I'm thinking of getting a new one. I read the NIV on my iPad. So here's my answer to that. I do not recommend King James Version for obvious reasons. It's a solid translation, it is, uh, but it's very difficult to understand. It's not just because of the these and the thous, right? But it often uses English words or phrases we don't use anymore and we don't understand them, right? It, it was done in 1611, so it makes it confusing for English speakers today. If you really like the King James Version, uh, maybe at least switch to the New King James Version because it's the same translation, but it's just updated language, so it makes it easier to read in our context. Um, or at least use a parallel Bible, which is, uh, you know, two translations side by side right? Then, you know, you can compare them. NIV is not horrible, but not my favorite. Ever since 2011, they made some updates to their translating translation decisions that I thought were pretty terrible. Um, I recommend what I use is the ESV, uh, which is uh, what I use personally and what I use in my sermons, or the NASB. NASB is good for study because it's uh, word for word, um, but it's also a little cumbersome because of that. So, once again, I think ESV is the best. It's ESV, Easter Standard, um, Easter <laughs> you get it, ESV. But because I, I, I think um, all translations have limits, you know, then definitely uh, um, just be careful and, and make sure that, that you're not just staying with just one, okay? All right, one bonus question. Usually I do three, but we're trying to empty the bank with me being off for a few months. So here it is, during communion, why is it requested that those who are non-believers or unsaved not join in partaking. Well, com communion or the Lord's Supper is, a very, uh, is very clearly a meal for the Christian. Everything about it is sacred to remember and worship Jesus for his great sacrifice for our salvation. Therefore, it's not good for someone who does not believe and therefore not worshiping or remembering Jesus to partake. The Bible also says that when partaking in it, when in unrepentant sin, we eat and drink judgment on ourselves. Now that's a warning for Christians as well, but I, it just, you know, it, it doesn't make sense for someone who's not a believer to partake. 
We should not encourage anyone, believer or unbeliever, to do anything that takes away from such a sacred meal of remembrances. Um, we, we always are going to have unbelievers in our gatherings, at least we do at, at Cornerstone. And, and communion is a really great time to share the power of the gospel. It's important that we don't shun them or make them feel stupid, right? That's no. But at the same time, for them to understand that there is a difference, right? There's a distinction. The gospel is not applied to everyone just haphazardly, but only to those who have been born again by faith in Christ. The sacred communion meal can really, really picture this, uh, this difference uniquely and beautifully. Okay, that's all we have for this week. We'll have one last Ask episode until I go on break next week, so stay tuned for that. Hopefully we'll see you this weekend at any of our three services. We have um, Saturday at 5, Sunday at 9 or 11, baptisms at all three. So you're going to definitely want to be here for that. God bless. See you soon.